Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. Podcast studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, the greatest city in the world. This is The Conversation. I'm Tommy Weber, and we have a great show for you tonight on a uh, damp, kind of getting really cold here in New York City. Christmas time, it's a great time of the year to to be in the city, and uh, my guest is going to do a hell of a job as he did for us this summer. But before we go to him, I wanted to make a comment on something I heard uh, recently in the winter meetings. Um, I heard someone say that it's really not important uh, if Robinson Cano runs every ball out or if Manny Machado runs every ball out. And I thought to myself, you know, baseball is the only game that distinguishes itself by not bragging about how hard its players run and work. If you obviously go to an NBA game, those guys run up and down the court for 81 games all season long. If you go to a football game, what they brag about is playing fast, playing hard, uh, and the effort that their players put forth. Baseball is the only game, and I just wonder what the long-term effect of it is, that almost takes pride in telling its players that, you know what, it's a long season, you know, you really can't go hard all the time. And I'm not some old Oriole who thinks that when a ball is bounced back to the pitcher, you have to sprint to first base. But over 162 games, these are elite athletes who get paid ridiculous amounts of money, and they should get compensated as they do. It's free market, they make what they make. But... I don't know that it's too much to expect that if you are an elite athlete and you are at the top of your game, that you're running hard every single night, four times a night. Um, yeah, comebacker, you know, make your, make your way to first base. We all know what's, what's happening there. But on a ball hit, you know, two steps to second baseman's right, you got to go. You got to smell the hit there. If that ball gets bobbled, that could be the difference between a win and a loss. And it just, it just struck me as I was speaking to a friend of mine that baseball is the only game that almost brags about the fact that it doesn't want its players playing hard all the time. Interesting. Food for thought. Anyway, we move on. My guest, um, one of the great pleasures of what I do is to get to know uh, outstanding people, young people that um, restore my faith in the future and restore my faith in in young people. And uh, that happens every year that I'm uh, around them. It's happened for 32 years that I've been involved uh, as a as a coach uh, at the college professional level and obviously elite summer ball level over the last three seasons in Cape Cod, which is the finest league in the world uh, with the best players at that level in the world. Um, and one of the things that I am always reminded of is that although they are elite physically, um, what you're really not clued into enough and people need to know is just how special these guys are mentally, emotionally, and intellectually. They are at the top of their game in every way, and that's why they're the best players in the world. My guest, no exception. Joe Donovan and I met this year in Brewster, uh, and we you know, quickly got close, as I, I love to do with my players. We had some fabulous conversations uh, about some things that you know had nothing to do with baseball, which is really a, a rewarding thing. Joe Donovan also... Um, exhibited to me the kind of ability that uh, you need and the mindset and the intellect to go very, very far in this game. He distinguished himself in the what I thought was the best at-bat I saw in the entire 2018 season, uh, an epic battle 
uh, in the playoffs, two-strike battle, which wound up with uh, Joe hitting a double that wound up uh, essentially being the difference between us winning and losing a playoff game against uh, the team with the best record in the league, YD. And one of the big reasons why we wound up advancing to the semifinals. It was a great at-bat to watch. It was the, the best at-bat of the year. Uh, I was so happy for Joe. And I want uh, everyone here to welcome my buddy, Joe Donovan. How are you, pal? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. Well, we had talked about this for a while. You were kind enough on short notice. The only reason why I asked you on such short notice was not because anybody canceled, but it's because I was uh, remiss in my duties of getting somebody for today. And uh, I really appreciate, obviously, you you being on the show. Um, I love to lead off with stories, and I love players' stories. We all have one, uh, and they're all unique. And uh, you're at the University of Michigan. You're a Wolverine. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, terrific school, great baseball school, great educational institution, fabulous alumni uh, network, fantastic, rivals that of any other institution in the country. Talk to me about how you get to Michigan. I know you were a prolific, epic high school player um, in the Chicago area. And, you know, was Michigan your dream school? How do you arrive at Michigan? Yeah, so... um I was literally in a pretty interesting spot. If you ask anybody from my elementary school or junior high, anybody from there, they would have thought it was crazy that I'd be going to Michigan. I grew up a diehard Ohio State Buckeye fan. I had some family from around the Columbus area, so it was it was bred into me. Uh, never really wanted to go there for baseball. It was just uh, loved them as a football school because that's what I was indoctrinated with. Um, I'd say that my dream school to play baseball growing up at was Vanderbilt just and South Carolina and Texas. My dad played for uh, Augie Garrido when he was at Illinois. Okay. And so I, all, I always grew up looking up to him, watching the, the great movie Inning by Inning. I'd right. recommend that to any, any good baseball fan. Uh, so Texas was always one. And then Vanderbilt, as I got a little bit older, they were the kind of the de facto team growing up and then i actually got tied into michigan because my brother had committed here two years before i did so i went on visits with him and it was actually kind of a a perfect combination because the coach at michigan uh who was my brother was the first commit for him uh, he was a coach at Vanderbilt and really helped make Vanderbilt what it is today, along with Coach Corbin. Uh, and so it was that along with wanting to bring, not bring Midwest baseball back, but help help the local Midwest schools that I had always grown up loving being a Chicago land area kid, um, seeing the U of I's, the Michigan's, the Ohio State's, the Notre Dame's, all of those schools that are really just the heart and soul of the Midwest wanting to represent that and not kind of sell myself off as a mercenary to some school, some school on a coast that I didn't really have that true connection with. And then it was just perfect that my brother was committed there and the coaches were so great. And then as you mentioned in the athletic athletic and academic institution, rivals to that if of any uh, university in the country. I must say, of all the, you know, obviously we've had kids from every single great institution in the country. Um, 
the Michigan guys are different. I mean, they really are. Uh, as you know, Will Tribuker and uh, Troy Miller were with us in our championship season, and we could not have won without them. I mean, ostensibly, Will was the MVP. I mean, you know, he was the guy who pitched us essentially to a championship, and Troy was on the mound when we won the championship. And those guys, I got to tell you, when I watched the interviews that they've done uh, or the inter- interviews that they did after we won, I was like, wow. These are really, really uh, special people. And you guys almost remind me a little bit of, without the crazy discipline, obviously, uh, of, of West Point people. Um, really mature, uh, you know, kind of standing. You stand up straight. You look people in the eye. Uh, you make eye contact and you speak really, really well. Talk to me about that. I mean, am I, am I right or is it just that the five or six guys that I've had have been, you know, standouts from Michigan? I mean, that's high praise. Anytime you can be uh, compared to a group of people of that caliber. But I mean, personally, I would like to think that it's a little bit of the the Midwest kind of soul. But as you mentioned, those two guys are both from California. So I think our coaches do a great job uh, always stressing the importance of being as we call it, being a good dude. And that's really what we focus on. Uh, we always, every week, whether it's split up freshman, uh, junior or sophomore, senior, we do weekly volunteering at the CS Mott Children's Hospital. Uh, have gone, or yearly we go to the VA Hospital of Ann Arbor and read the kids. So, I mean, it's a Michigan baseball in my opinion, is just, it's part of our ethos to be good members of society and be eloquent and stand up people. And that's really stressed on to, uh, or stressed upon us by our coaching staff. And I'm very thankful for it. And then, like I said, I, I'd like to think that Midwesterners always good, polite people. And whether you're not from there, maybe it rubs off a little bit being around so much of us. Well, it, cer- it certainly shows. And it's a good, you touched on something which makes for a good segue to my, my next uh, question, which is there's a, a movement afoot in baseball that none can deny, which is beginning to uh, make the assertion, and you see it on the MLB network, there are plenty of guys who think that all of that stuff, being a good dude, if you will, um, doesn't really matter uh, with the influence and the influx of data analytics and numbers, uh, you know, starting to basically take the day, if you will. Uh, there are people who are saying, you know, all that stuff, that other stuff is really overrated. You know, if you can't measure it, it has no value. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, as, as you know, I don't have to, you, you know this already. I, I think that's apocryphal. I really think that's fool's gold. And I think the degree to which people have bought into that in baseball is is really alarming. And I know baseball is a big group think game, but my goodness gracious, in any collection of people, what's really important, especially when you have people who are close in ability, what's really important is how well uh, they not only get along, but how well they can buy in and, you know, adopt a certain credo and and move forward together to try to accomplish one goal. If you don't have good guys, uh, you know, you could have a lot of guys that are really, really skilled and really talented and and never achieve your goals. But I have to ask you, it's it's readily apparent that that is something that is becoming valued less and less. 
how does a young guy like yourself who experiences the polar opposite at a place like Michigan, where it really is about getting good guys together who can play. Uh, how do you see that as a young player in the game today? Even though there does seem to be a lessened uh, emphasis on it, I think if you look at the teams that succeed, namely Red Sox, Astros, and Cubs the past three winners, all of those guys seem to be good dudes, at least from the outside, whether it's Mookie Betts or David right. Price. I could speak from knowledge in David Price, given that our coach coached him and recruited him at Vanderbilt and is as big of a fan of him as a teammate as anybody. So I think personally, though there might be a lessened emphasis on a greater scale, the people who realize the true importance of it employ it to a high success rate. I mean, because guys like Theo Epstein and Alex Cora, they know the importance of it and how much a good locker room chemistry and team chemistry impacts it. And even in the business world, if you're looking at things like uh, Google or IBM or any of these super successful high fortune 500 right. companies, all of them have their own team culture and success that has brought them to where they are. It's funny. I use that same analogy. Any, any good company is all about, look, let's face it. At the end of the day, um, there's a, a certain fungibility to most players. You know, you, you only ha- there's only a few elite players on every team. Basically, we're splitting hairs. If you switched, you know, the middle six guys on one team for the middle six guys on another team, I don't think the difference is that big. It just can't be. The, the math would bear me out. You can't have that many great players on one team. So when it is all said and done, what you want is you want guys who could, you know, basically play a certain requisite skill level. And then you want great people, right? You want them to be great people. Uh, and that's what companies who are successful go for. Because I could, I could work with you if you're a little deficient in one area or another. Uh, and, and how much, how, how deficient can one player really be over another physically, especially at the major league level where everybody is so good? You see it at the top college level. You know, guys are really, really good. So we're really splitting hairs. Um, and, and great companies adopt the policy of they want to surround themselves with great people. Um, and, and it seems to me like at a place like Michigan, that's what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, we were just, uh, lucky enough to talk to one of the former GMs of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I asked him kind of a similar question, like what are some of the, or the difference between 10 year big leaguers and maybe a guy that might just have a cup of coffee. And he really said, he really focused on how much of an emphasis the Dodgers put on having good dudes and being a good teammate and everything like that. Because he said the amount of guys in the big leagues today that are worth having, even if they're toxic, you could count on two hands where the the talent level exceeds stress or negative impact that 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 toxic personality might have. Right. I agree. Having the, I, I would agree with that. And I, I think I think it might be one hand. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that there are yeah. I don't know that there are seven or eight guys that if they're you know really bad guys 
are worth it. I just don't. I I I, I kind of my my own philosophy goes the other way. I, I, your numbers to me, you know, numbers are you know there are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics and. You know, you could make stats and numbers look any way you want, but to experience a player, it's the only way you really get a feel for his true value because then you see all the warts and the blemishes. You know, it's like a picture of a girl and then meeting the girl. They're very different. <laughs> yeah. You know, they really are. You know, you'll, you'll draw conclusions based on the picture. You'll get the real deal once you meet the person. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends Hunter and Braden Bishop as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. Let, let, let's, let's, the, I, I don't want to go too far into the weeds with this, but let's talk about your experience in the Cape. Um, talk, to okay. me, talk to me about... Um, what your perception is, was pre-Cape, right? pre-June 12th or whatever it might have been that you got there. And what surprised you? What impressed you? What didn't you like? You know, give us a little uh, thumbnail sketch of, uh, of your experience. All right. Uh, so I think I got there June 16th. I didn't play in the first few games. Uh, me and the other Michigan guys got there around the 15th, 16th area. And I had heard so much about it. Uh, from guys that I had worked out with that have played there before and everything. And they all were looking at it from a hindsight and just loved it. And uh, they were talking about the type of like transformative nature that it can have and uh, just the true talent level and how almost movie-like it is. And I got there. I'd like to think of myself as a pretty optimistic, positive person. And my preconceived notion was going there and having every single pitcher be 92 plus with at least one wipeout secondary pitch. Right. And so I'd say a lot of the preconceived notions that I had about the place were focused around the performance level that was going to be there. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a, a high level player, uh, because it's blown out of proportion so often, you expect to go there and just see dirty pitcher after dirty pitcher after right. great infielder and right. guys just hitting bombs. And right. the fact of the matter is, for the guys that have, are going there, that's not too different than what they've seen their entire travel ball and or high or college or high school experience. Because I was playing against guys there that I had played for or played with or against before and so it was more just like it was like playing a jupiter team where everybody there is a, a pro prospect and they're there for a reason right i wouldn't call it that much different by any magnitude than what i had seen in certain tournaments before uh it was just an everyday thing while well, like in a, in a tournament like 
maybe two out of three teams or right. four out of five teams that you play, and then you get a cookie, but you you never really get any of those in, in the Cape. Right. And I, I think you'll say the same thing when you go to Pro Bowl. I mean, in, in the beginning, you're going to say, well, you know, there are, there are some really you know, ridiculous guys, but every single guy is not Mickey Mantle. You know, every single guy is not Bryce yeah. Harper. And when, and you're right. The, romant, the, the romantic notion of the cape sort of conjures up in your mind something that can't possibly be fulfilled. You, you know, it's like when somebody tells you the girl's the most beautiful girl you've ever seen and you don't, and you've never seen her, you can only be disappointed. I mean, it's just impossible yeah. for your, you know, the reality to match your imagination. So I, I see where you're coming from. And most of the time that you hear people talk, if this is coming from a player's perspective, most of the time you hear people talk about the Cape, it's non-people who have played there or people that haven't necessarily played at the highest level. So from an onlooker's perspective, right. yes, it is so much different, but from somebody who's playing there, the calibers pretty similar to the guys that you face growing up because most of the guys you're facing are the guys that you face growing up. Correct. And, and like you said, there's just no let up. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to mm-hmm. see a terrible team. That's not happening that you could, yeah. everybody just beats up on it. That's why so many teams hover around 500 because the talent level is so spread out and really basically all on an even keel. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about, let's talk about a couple of guys that you ran into. Talk to me about um, Jason Kanzler. Jason Kanzler. First off, specimen. <laughs> Do you know, you, but you realize, you know that in a fight, me and Jason can't, who would win? You realize that, right? You know. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. It doesn't have to be said, <laughs> but let's, let's move on. From <laughs> no, I love Jason. I mean, I would see him. I mean, just as much in the weight room, a lot of our interactions were in the dugout or in the weight room or before uh, before the games would start kind of in an early work setting and love talking to him, love picking his brain about different physical aspects of the game or uh, talking a little catching because of his, uh, his close uh, relationship with Murph. Yeah, yeah. Tom so, Murphy, Colorado Rocky, major league catcher. Mm-hmm. So yeah, love, love hanging out with him, love breaking it down with him. Uh, looking forward to it again. And if uh, you ever run across Tom Murphy, you will ask him what the greatest dinner of his life was. And he will tell you the dinner that I bought him, Jason and Tony Negrin in uh, Philadelphia back in Philly, two- right? Yeah, that was okay. the legendary one I heard about. Yes, yes. Unbelievable. We'll talk about that some other time. Mm-hmm. What the, oh, my God. That was awesome. That was at one of those vetri restaurants. Ridiculous. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and I'm from New York. Have you heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> you have a good memory. Good for you. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see what you got. Um, that's great. That's great. Um, so right now, from a training point of view, what are you doing to tell people, you know, tell a, tell a 15-year-old who's listening uh, what they do at a big-time school. Like what, what exactly, are, where are you at? Uh, is it baseball stuff? Is it, you know, weight room stuff? What is it? Mm-hmm. So at this specific time of year, we uh, are done with all baseball team activity. Uh, there are like the pitchers and everybody are still throwing. And so as a catcher, I'll be catching bullpens. Um, oh, so the pitchers throw week, the pitchers throw straight through? No, some guys are taking time off and long tossing. Okay. So, but most of the guys, unless they were throwing heavy innings in the fall, are still going. Okay. It's mostly in like a, a touch and feel kind of 
fine-tuning bullpen, no red line, high effort pitches. Right, right. So as a catcher, I'm catching those. Uh, now that it's finals season, uh, there's no mandatory lifts, but you being a part of our team means uh, we like to think that we all try to go the extra mile just to, to do what we know we can do and know what we are to try to do what we want to do in the future. So most every one of us is lifting four times a week and hitting every day and doing some running and getting ready for some of the guys that have left within the past few days. I'll be going home uh, tomorrow. And then, so for me over the break, it's really just going to be wake up, work out, eat, try to get into the best shape possible, do some running, do some hitting, make sure that my catching stays uh, at the level that I want it to. And really just getting myself in the best position possible to come back and hit the ground running when we do get back here so that we can start to do as bad as possible. And uh, I know you were banged up your freshman year. Uh, are yeah. do you do you think do you think you'll go into you, you think right now you're 100 percent? Yes. Great. Yes. I Great. Do. All right. We'll all say a yeah, prayer. You, a they stay that way. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, who inspired you when you were a kid. What were your inspirations? What and who were your inspirations? So I from. A big leaguer's perspective, what I always looked up to is I always measured myself to Yadier Molina. Mm-hmm. Um, I would watch him since I was a, grew up a pretty diehard Cub fan, watching him just tear apart our running game <laughs> uh, on a consistent basis was pretty awesome just because I got to watch a uh, little WGN action, watch sure. Yadier Yachty play the boys. So mm-hmm. I love that. That's who I looked up to as a as a big league role model. But as far as an inspiration go, I had a lot, or I have a lot to owe to my dad and my older brother, Charlie, who mm-hmm. unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But having them on a daily basis, uh, my dad is as close to a, a savant as I could imagine for a baseball coach. He has a, a unique ability to connect with any anyone he uh, comes across whether it's a different type of personality or finding metaphors for swings or anything, right. infielding, outfielding. He's just as on top of baseball in as I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. And then my brother was always a very highly touted, extremely athletic, gifted athlete. So playing catch with him every day, playing pickup basketball in our driveway. Uh, running routes in the street with a football. Those are the guys that I really look up to was my dad and my brother, Charlie. It's funny because I've, I've done a lot of these these conversations and especially mm-hmm. with players, I, it, it strikes me how similar, uh, even though there's our age difference, our backgrounds are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's sort of the same story. You know, it's very, very, there's very little variation. It's usually either a sibling you know, a father who knew a lot about the game. So it really is. Um, the story is is eerily similar to me. And um, mm-hmm. obviously, I met your mom. Uh, lovely, you know. Please, my best to your parents. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I could see where you got a lot of uh, what makes you such a great guy. 
uh, from. So um, please, my best to them, and, and I, please wish them a happy holiday uh, this year. I will. Um, mm-hmm. So shout, uh, shout out to my mom and dad. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Of course, of course. Yeah. You know what I tell my friends, right? And you could take this is another piece of advice you could get. You could take. You know, I tell my friends. You know, um, you know your wife, right? You could have like ten of those. Mm-hmm. You only get <laughs> you, you only get one mom. You Absolutely. only get one mom. Um, so uh, we play a little game here. It's called Quick Pitch. I'm sure you have your pitchers do that because yeah. you're like a cheater. I know that. I like that. <laughs> uh, you know every you know every great that's right. Every great player has to have a little cat burglar in him. Um, mm-hmm. So we call it Quick Pitch. I'm going to say something. You're going to give me the first thing that pops into your mind. You yep. ready? You ready? No getting loose. Yep. No, no bands, no, no medicine balls. <laughs> uh, I love the fact that 19-year-olds on a 90-degree day need like 70 minutes to get ready to play a game. But anyway, <laughs> I, I digress. Um, okay, ready? Favorite food? Wow. Shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you had one movie to watch, what would it be? Uh, Miracle, the 1980 film. I mean, the film about the 1980 single single greatest athletic event of all time, and whatever second is a thousand miles away. Um, Absolutely, and my uh, happened on my dad's 12th birthday, so I have the the lucky tradition of watching that with him. Awesome. Uh, on his birthday every year. That never gets old. That never gets. Whenever I speak, mm-hmm. um, I very often do that i give them that whole the, the whole chronology of events leading up to and including mm-hmm. that that victory um so three people you you were not related to okay no longer mm-hmm. alive who you could have dinner with who would they be holy cow uh i'm good i'm good right just, frank frank sinatra the chairman of the board the old uh, man yeah uh, let's see. I feel like he'd have some good stories. Nobody owned a tune. Uh, Nobody owned a tune like Frank Sinatra. Nobody made every tune sound like he was singing about himself than Frank Sinatra. Amazing. Hey, that's the truth. Uh, number two. Let's see. Um, is there a language barrier? No. There's no. You could have an interpreter. Everything they say will come out in, mm-hmm. in a language you understand. Notice how Leonardo da Vinci. Vinci, Oh my God. Wow. I don't think there'd be a more interesting person to hear from uh, as far as perspective and pure genius than him. Yeah. Juxtaposed a great Leonardo against like the Kardashians. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's some commentary about the 21st century. (laughs) I'm going to go back in antiquity for my last one to. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy, so I, I don't think there'd be anybody better to hear that from than him. Oh, I, I see you're a deep guy. I love that. I love it. I knew you would give Thank me great you. answers. Great answers. Um, here's one. What gets you out of bed in the morning? The fear of being average. Joe Donovan, you are so badass. <laughs> Some guys they balk at the, these questions. You were like, like you had them written, like you had prior notice of what I was going to ask, and I didn't have prior notice of what I was going to ask. So I know you didn't. Wow, that's great. That's great. Um, so let's go back to the Cape. When I when I say to you the Cape, what experience? What specific experience that we could laugh about comes to mind? Okay. 
And it's your, you know what? This show is all about the player. So you could say whatever you want mm. and you don't have to worry about it. Laugh about, uh, let's see. Funny, you know, whatever. I, yeah. I would say looking at the, the season as a whole, uh, how, in hindsight, how funny it is because it wasn't funny losing as much as we did in the first part of the season, but how funny it is that we were losing so many games to start and then ended up rattling off as many as we could to squeak our way in there and just <laughs> absolutely kicking the crap out of YD in the first round. Oh my God. I love that. Oh my God. <laughs> so true. So true. So I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I, I want to, we're running out of time, but I want to touch on something with you because you're really bright and you get it. And, and that's why I enjoyed our time together in the Cape. So, so this is something I, 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 I see like on Twitter. Okay. Train the nervous system and the body will follow. Plan your training around bettering the central nervous system and the body needed for the task is what will follow. You know, I see a lot of this and I'm not, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm not stupid. And I just wonder if we haven't jumped the proverbial shark. Like, where are we with this? This kind of, this search for um, the Holy Grail, which has... You know, there are enough guys who have trouble playing Pepper. Train the central <laughs> nervous system. Do you, do you ever feel, does the, does the modern player feel encumbered at all by all of this information? And, and I'm just not sure. Look, it may be beneficial, but I need to know and be able to measure what the net benefit is and then match that up against, you know, what I'm paying, what the cost is to mm -hmm. determine whether or not it's worth it. Do, 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 you, do you guys ever feel like, my God, and you know, I just want to go out and play? Personally, I wouldn't say so because uh, I'm a very analytical person mm -hmm. and I, I love just going through my day trying to optimize everything. Or, right. Me too. Me too. Or, yeah. So, I mean, as... Uh, I feel like I'm able to kind of zone it all out when it matters. Uh, and so to answer that question, I don't think so for mine. Uh, I know some guys just like to go out there and not hear anything, just go out and hit, go out and throw, go out right. and pitch, everything like that. Um, to kind of touch on like the, the nervous system and everything, that was two of the little bits that I wanted to touch on actually. And it goes a little bit in, first on a mental basis and then on a physical basis. And I think that the world would be better served to be a little bit more cocky and in charge of themselves. Because I think one of the things that I realized when I went out to the Cape is that you hear about all these good pitchers and good everything. And people, especially like players, when they're talking about it, they'll kind of psych themselves out with like having social media yeah, I know. <laughs> or knowing, knowing who people are before like you go on the mound. Oh, yep. this guy's yep. 94, 96 with a 80 slider. So, so many people. You're leaving the on deck circle. Oh, and two is what is basically what's happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I know that I'm personally, that's happened to me. I've gotten nervous going into an app ad or something like that, but I don't blame you. I think just what the, greater athletic community would be better served to do would be to greatly consider the use of 
how we use words. So I'm always a big, I'm a big fan of the, the late Dr. Wayne Dyer, mm-hmm. uh, the old spiritual coach. And one of the things that he always said was the power of the word I am. And so many people, uh, myself included at times, use those words in a negative fashion. I'm, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not going to hit this guy. And or this guy's better than me, blah, blah, whatever it may be, a negative use of those words. And I think by just refusing to look at yourself in a, a negative fashion can help people's confidence so much and can absolutely change your life by just not or by refusing to look at yourself in a negative fashion. And I don't, by no means I mean being delusional about talent or anything like that. Uh, I think that's really important to be have an objective look at yourself. But being a little cocky in your own mind, you don't have to go out and profess it to the world, but by not even acknowledging the thought process of you being anything other than the best player on the planet at that time, I don't I don't think that there's any negative to it. Like I would just go out and think I'm not gonna sh- nobody nobody here is gonna be good enough to strike me out. In reality, is that the case? No, I'm probably gonna strike out a a handful of times, yep. but that's not the point. It's giving somebody a leverage over you in your mind can never be a good thing in a com- competitive setting, in my opinion. Well, I couldn't agree more. And as I said many times um, in the Cape, it's about self-reliance. It's about relying on you. The more you rely on you, the more you own your game, the higher your self-esteem will be. Self-esteem and self-reliance are very, very closely related. And I believe, and I've said this many times, that the modern player, as wonderful as they are, and guys are in great shape and you're skilled, uh, this is the lowest self-esteem player I've ever been around. And I believe that's because it's the first generation who's never been allowed to do anything on their own. So what happens is you never really quite trust it. And that's why I believe the conversation amongst hitters is always, what has he got? Does he have arm side run? How hard is he throwing? Well, the, re- the reality is if you just watch the pitcher, I, want, I, I would imagine you're going to get 95% of what you need. And what you're going to get is first-person information. First-person information is much more reliable than third-person information. And you can now basically own your at-bat. And once you start doing that, your self-esteem and your confidence are going to skyrocket. That's what we need to impress. And I, and I couldn't agree with what you said more in that I think the next frontier is all about mental health and mental well-being. I am a huge mental health advocate. I think people think it's okay to not feel okay. My last Sundays with Tommy, I said, this should be the year where we stop thinking that it's okay to not feel okay. And you really need to avail yourself of resources that are available to people who, who walk around all day long feeling, you know, the blues should be relegated to music, not to people. You don't have to feel badly about yourself. You don't. There's help out there, and, and there are plenty of ways to get it. And I tell my players all the time, you know, I'm a, I'm a resource. I'll find you the resources uh, to make you feel better. And I think that as coaches and mentors and parents, we've dropped the ball a little bit with this generation and allowed, the, and allowed guys to walk around feeling shitty uh, about themselves and about their game. I never heard so many guys say, I suck. I suck. I can't hit. I can't. Th-. You know, Years ago, you would never you would never relinquish that years ago. You would go the other way. No matter how good a pitcher was, you would say he sucked. You would never give credit to another guy on the other, on the other team, ever. That, has, that, has, that script has flipped entirely in the 21st century. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that, I think. I mean, 
whether it's hearing about all these guys growing up now that there's like baseball America and everything, I think for all the younger kids, it's just realize your talent. Um, if you don't believe in it at the moment, tell yourself it and try to believe it every single time you say it out. Say it to yourself before you go to bed. I'm the best player in the country. I'm the best player in my class. And take the necessary steps in order to fulfill that goal. To like make that dream your reality. Not just saying it and not going out and backing up, but even if you don't believe it at the moment, just tell yourself it and try to take the necessary steps in order to achieve that. And after a while, if you keep on saying it, keep on acting in a way that would be conducive to that dream, it will either come to fruition or, I mean, you'll just become a, a more confident person. And in my opinion, I couldn't I agree more from personal experience. I know you do. I know you do. And that's why I asked you the question because I knew I'd get that kind of response from you. It's great advice for everyone. We're going to continue this conversation. Joe, you are terrific. Um, I'm going to let you go. Uh, first and foremost, I want you to have a happy healthy, safe holiday. My best to your parents. Um, I want you to know that, of course, whatever you need, I got you covered. And you have an open invitation anytime you'd like to come back. We're going to continue our conversation, of course, you and I about music and movies and all these other great topics that we talked about all summer long uh, throughout this whole winter. Uh, I just want to thank you very, very much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, first and foremost, go blue. <laughs> <laughs> of and course. everybody have a safe and happy holidays as well. I urge you to go out and push your boundaries in some way, whether it's listening to some music that you've never had, going to a restaurant, exploring, adventuring, watching some classic movies. Just go out and improve yourself in some way. My man. That's why I love this guy. All right, buddy. Listen, we're going to let our, our, our pal, the beautiful Freddie Mercury, Queen, take us out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My man, Joe Donovan, University of Michigan, going to have a huge year this year. Thank you so much, everybody. We will catch you next time. Here is Queen. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.